Hello and welcome to Dig Deep, the podcast about sport, faith, and life. I'm Brian Bolt, kinesiology professor and men's golf coach at Calvin College. And I'm Chad Carlson, kinesiology professor and director of general education at Hope College. And we are coming to you again from the audio studio of Our Daily Bread, the ministry that distributes resources all around the world to improve your and my relationship to God. We're very happy to be able to record this uh, podcast from the audio studio of Our Daily Bread, and we thank them for that, that privilege. Chad, how have you been this week? This has been a good week, Brian, a good week. We are continuing on the football season. We continue on in the World Series. We continue on in our sports endeavors. How exciting, huh? Yeah, my, uh, my son plays high school football, and he had a pretty big week this week. It's he, playoff time, huh? It is. So you never quite know how the teams are going to do. They played a, a pretty even team and uh, went right down to the end. Very exciting game, and he had a Good opportunity to take part in that. They did win in advance, and so next week we take on the mighty Muskegon Big Reds. Uh, that could be the end. Who knows? I, don't let them know that I said that. If there's one high school football team in the state of Michigan where we are right now that has a national reputation, it's got to be the Muskegon Big Reds. So you just topple the giant. No big deal. That, that's it. I think they're pretty focused, uh, watching a lot of film, trying to figure out different ways that they might uh, chip away at that armor. But ultimately, we're kind of hoping they drop a few balls on the ground and give us a few openings. Are we allowed to hope for that? Oh, that's a good question. Maybe we should ask our guest. <laughs> uh, that's kind of a tough spot. Hey, we do have a guest today, and his name is Matthew Ruiz. Matthew uh, comes to us from Lipscomb University down in Tennessee, and uh, a long way from where we are now, uh, a beautiful part of the country. Um, great opportunity for us to speak with Matthew. Matthew, can you introduce yourself a little bit to the audience? Hi, yeah, thank you for having me. I'm very excited about the, the opportunity to talk to you guys about um, what I'm passionate in, sports psychology. So, yeah, as Brian mentioned, I'm at uh, Lipscomb University, which is in beautiful Nashville, and where it's uh, here, what, one day before Halloween and 75 degrees outside, it's, it's awesome. Just Great lay it on thick there, Matthew. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> but uh, I work in our Department of Nutrition and Kinesiology, and for about the last year or so, I've been the Director of Graduate Studies in our Master's Program in Exercise and Nutrition Science. And also, really, uh, from a faculty position, more of just kind of a generalist. Um, do get to teach a few sports psych type classes, but you know, at the as we do at many liberal arts schools, we wear a lot of different hats and have the opportunity to to teach a lot of different things. But uh, Lipscomb is a, a small Division One school. We compete in the Atlantic Sun Conference, um, and uh, so you know, we have a high level of of athletes. Our women's cross country just won conference uh, again and our women's soccer team is going to the NCAA tournament for the first time and our men have the opportunity to go back for the second time uh, in a week or so. Uh, it's, a, it's a fun place to be and, and be talking about sports and, and watching sports and, and those sorts of things. So it sounds like a lot is happening around your campus and congratulations. Sounds like some of your uh, student athletes, probably some that you know, are having successful seasons, and uh, you've had a chance to interact with them. But most people that get into sports psychology start generally with a love of sport, uh, more so even within a love of psychology. Can you tell us about your sport background? Kind of what, what door did you come in to get into this interest? Sure. 
Yeah, well, um, like many people, I played high school sports and stuff and got hurt, which uh, was kind of my initial entry into the world of kinesiology, exercise science, sports science, that sort of thing. I went to college, like many of our students, thinking I wanted to do physical therapy um, because I you know, had gotten hurt and went to a physical therapist and really enjoyed that world and thought, I, I want to help athletes. At the time, that was in the uh, the mid to late 90s. They it wasn't a growth field like it is now, physical therapy, and uh, so I went more the athletic training route. And it turned out that you only needed three additional classes to also carry an exercise science major, and so I double majored in both because that looked good on a resume. Um, when I got done with it all, decided to focus more on exercise science and started kind of venturing into the world of personal training. And um, even here, we're in a, a really kind of high-end area. Of, I went to Lipscomb as an undergrad, and we're, our university is located in a very high-end part of town. Worked at a YMCA there as a personal trainer where uh, people would sign up, you know, pay a package of 10 sessions for $500 or something like that to do personal training. And they'd have all these great goals and all these aspirations. I want to lose weight. I want to run a marathon, all these, you know, and I'm very excited to work with them. Then they come one time and seem a little less enthusiastic, maybe come a second time and tell they're really kind of disinterested and then never show up again and have forfeited, you know, from my having just graduated college, a lot of money. Um, and so I started asking them this question, well, why don't they want to stick with this exercise? And as soon as you start asking that question, why, you kind of venture into psychology. So kind of so kind of my first initial interest was really answering this question of why what motivates people to either engage in exercise or to to not engage in exercise and which then more broadly brought me into full full circle back to athletes exercisers and athletes sport and exercise psychology are our cousins maybe even brothers and sisters um and kind of had the same training for both and so since then I kind of have been more focused on uh, on athletes than than exercisers, but still trying to answer a lot of those why questions. So that's a great background, Mike, uh, Matthew, and you started to separate a little bit there. You you talked about uh, a cooperation between exercise and sport, but let's let's stay with exercise just for a second because this idea, uh, the idea of this podcast, is sort of explore faith connections in the world of sport, but we don't haven't spent a lot of time with faith connections in the world of exercise. And I'm wondering if, as I mentioned that phrase, what, what pops to mind first for you as you think about exercise and the Christian faith? Yeah, probably. I mean, it, it feels very stereotypical, almost cliche, um, but that our body is, is a temple. And um, I, I think of also, and try to challenge our students with this, um, that you know, we're called by Jesus to love the Lord our God with all, all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And often when we hear that strength piece, I think the way we interpret that is a mental fortitude, right? I'm going to stand firm in the face of adversity, and that's what strength is. But let me preface this with I'm not a theologian, nor am I a Greek scholar. Um, but from what I have looked into that word that we translate as strength, that literally translates as a physical kind of demand. It's not a mental fortitude at all. It's doing something physical. All right? So there seems to be this implication in that command to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength that there's a physical component to that, that there's something about us and using our bodies that can bring glory to God. 
And um, probably my favorite author that talks about this is Gary Thomas and his book, Everybody Matters. And maybe a small plug for the, uh, the, the Global Congress coming up next year. Gary Thomas is one of the keynotes, of course. And um, in his book, Everybody Matters, he, he really kind of dives into this idea of what does it mean to bring glory to God by the way that we are physically kind of built, um, by being able to be healthy and to, uh, to physically do things that bring glory to God. And it's, it's a fantastic idea, and it kind of changes this whole idea of, uh, you know, most exercisers want to exercise, or most people want to begin exercise so that they can lose weight. And that's a fine, worthy goal, um, but what if there's something more? What if it's, I'm a, I'm a pastor and I'm overweight and I want to lose weight, less about losing weight and looking good, but so I can serve God more thoroughly, so I'm better equipped physically to handle the demands of my job or to do a mission trip or whatever it happens to be, or if I'm, I'm more healthy, I'm more able to do those kind of things. So it really kind of changes that focus. And, you know, we would talk then about the, the, the motivation. Is it an intrinsic thing or an extrinsic thing? And I think that motive of I want to be more fit so that I can serve God more thoroughly uh, is a very powerful motivator or can be. So I'm wondering, Matthew, I, I think that's fascinating. And when we start unpacking some of those things, we have some biases that, that are almost Christianese. And so I, I, I pose these sorts of student uh, questions to my students, and I'll ask them, you know, do Christians need to be tougher than we are? Do we need to be more physically strong? And, of course, their knee-jerk reaction is, no, 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 God only cares about our hearts. And yet, uh, when you say it, it, it sounds as if that physical strength is about being equipped to serve in a way that um, that responds to the needs of the world would you would you say that uh, the the church is too soft yeah I think so <laughs> I, I take myself for example uh, you know I, I get up and exercise in the morning I I would not call myself a runner I would call myself a guy that runs and there's a there's a motivational difference between those two things. Um, but, you know, I, I'll go out and run five miles in the morning or something, and I know that's the toughest thing I'm probably going to do all day because um, it's physically demanding and it hurts, and it's not, now it's getting kind of cool in the mornings and, you know, those sorts of things. Um, but, you know, it, we, we push ourselves to our physical limits. That starts to change the way we think about other things, too. Uh, it changes the way that it changes our thought processes. It changes the way that we feel. Um, and yeah, I, I think we are kind of soft, and that's not you know less about weight control and more about uh, you know as Andrew Duckworth would talk about with having grit and really being able to you know have a psychological hardiness. I think it's hard to be psychologically hardy for the demands of modern life, especially the demands that a modern Christian would face, without having some level of uh, physical well-being to kind of go along with that. You know, if you believe that we are truly kind of uh, mind, body, and spirit, and those things all interrelate and play off of each other. To be weak physically, naturally, then means you're going to be weak mentally and emotionally, also. And I guess what I challenge our students with when we start talking about, well, what you know, what level of fitness, how fit should I be? What I tell them, it's it's never about for me. It's never about saying that you need to look like an Abercrombie model or that you need to look like a Victoria's Secret model. It's about being healthy and being functional in whatever body God gave you um, so that you can do what you need to do in order to bring glory to him. 
seems like such an important point for our students that uh, you know exercise is important, especially in the midst of all of the intellectual or cranial work they're being asked to do in other courses and even within kinesiology courses, but that um, the focus and the goal of the exercise might be um, might be healthy in itself for for our, our student athletes, for our students who are are not athletes but are still interested in um, uh, worshiping God and, and growing in their faith. That um, it's important for them to have a, a healthy perception of who they are, right? And so your work in in sports psychology and consultations. Can you tell us a little bit about? what it is you've done in the past, some of the, the issues that you are consulting athletes on or, or with, where does that play out? Sure. Yeah, and uh, so we've been in Nashville for about um, a little more than three, three and a half years, and there's more opportunity here than where we were, we were previously at in my other school, which was much more rural, and there wasn't as much opportunity there. But uh, even in that rural setting uh, where we're at in Indiana, I had the opportunity to work with, um, for some reason, young gymnasts started to, to seek me out. So we're talking eight, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, that sort of thing. The, they, and, you mean uh, their, their parents sought you out, correct? Yes, That's, I should <laughs> clarify that. <laughs> their parents. Yes. But it's usually like such at, a young uh, age. And at that age, it's usually the parents that need the consulting and not sure, the athletes. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so, which is very different than working with college athletes. But um, those were an interesting, that was an inter- the dynamic of gymnastics is so different than, uh, and the world of gymnastics is so different than a lot of other sports where it's, it, it is a team sport. I guess it's kind of like golf, um, a little bit like tennis, even cross country, where it's an individualized team sport, right? But, you know, those little go- those little gymnasts are out there on the, um, you know, on the the bars or whatever by themselves, even though they're contributing to mm-hmm. a, a score. And it really, honestly, it, what it really was, it was less about the athlete and more about the parents and what they were doing um, that was making their their athletes nervous or, you know, kind of being counterproductive to their confidence or, or whatever it happened to be. And kind of found that in talking with the, you know, looking and facing and talking to the athlete with, mom or dad sitting there off to the left it was really more for mom and dad sitting off to the left than what it was directly at the at the athletes and that was a really good learning experience for me Um, because we didn't have our kids were not really involved in high level sports yet our oldest is uh, is doing his first year of middle school so this was kind of a new now is doing first year of middle school soccer Uh, so we're still kind of learning this sport parenting Mm -hmm. thing Mm -hmm. Uh, and you contrast that with w- working with Division One athletes here, and uh, I have the opportunity to to consult primarily with our um, our track and field teams, our cross country teams, and then other athletes as, as kind of as the need arises. And uh, you know, it's, it's a different ball game here. So the parents are a little less uh, involved, and now it's more about what what do these athletes need. And in a school like us, you know, we're not SEC, we're not Big Ten. Um, but particularly in those sports, and women's cross country in particular, also our men's cross country is really good and will routinely beat SEC and Big Ten and Big East schools. Uh, so they, these are very, very good athletes. And to, to be able to work with them and see what their, their issues are and to, to help them out with that has been very rewarding. So it seems like the sports site consulting industry has grown and, and is really at a a positive effect on the world of sports, specifically maybe less than mature adult athletes. So you mentioned working with gymnasts as young as eight or nine, but also now more recently working with uh, some Lipscomb athletes. What are some of the more prevalent issues 
that you're discussing in consultations with with athletes? Yeah, probably the the biggest thing is uh, confidence, and um, second only probably to anxiety, hmm. uh, which are both you know, kind of classic sports psychology kind of issues, and, and trying to deal with those. Um, kind of my approach though is is less about any, either of those issues in of themselves, but the stuff that's a little bit deeper. So, uh, kind of the way that I approach consulting is. Um, really almost from an emotional intelligence and, you know, Daniel Goldman stuff with the emotional intelligence and approaching it from um, this piece of self-awareness, right? For me, the number one thing for an athlete is becoming self-aware. And of, of what? Well, of the, the three major things we're concerned about. How are they, how do they think? How do they feel? And then how do they behave? Right, because a lot of athletes they they just go out there and they're robotic. They're not thinking about the thoughts that they have or the way they respond emotionally to a situation or to a challenge or to failure or to winning. Um, and all the you know the way that we think and the way that we feel drives our behavior. Um, so for me, the number one issue is: does this athlete can they articulate the way that they feel and the way that they think? in different contexts, in either in competition or in practice or wherever it needs to be. And if they can, if they are very aware of what they say to themselves and how they feel, what the emotions are present, then my job is 90% of the way done. Now we just have to figure out a plan to, to either change those thoughts and feelings or to uh, in, further enhance them so that they are, are productive. The athletes who really are the hardest are the ones that can't articulate. They have no clue how they think, or no clue how they feel. Then we really got to start from square one and, and start digging down. I'm envisioning that occurring more often with eight and nine year olds than with 18 and 19 year olds. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, they, yes. I mean, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, I mean, even up to the, these college kids, the brains aren't fully developed yet. The may, brains may not be developed until they're, they're 25. Sure. Um, but eight- and nine-year-olds, I mean, they have a very hard time differentiating between different emotional states. Uh, they're not bad at being able to tell you what they're thinking, um, but what they're feeling, yeah, that, that's very hard. Um, and that's not so much a sport thing. I think that's just a developmental thing. I'm not a developmental psychologist, but... Um, you know, we have books like Emotional Intelligence for adults because adults aren't fully emotionally developed. We can't expect eight, nine-year-olds to, to be able to fully articulate. You know, I feel really nervous when I'm standing in front of 100 people getting ready to perform. If we asked uh, a similar question to 100 sports psychologists, we might receive the same answer from all of them, that we're looking at confidence and anxiety as sort of the, you know, two of the, the more major concerns and yet, faith plays a part in the way in which you consult with athletes. And, and sometimes, I, I would imagine, in the way that athletes um, uh, respond and th- things that they're thinking about, um, uh, ways in which they're articulating their thoughts and their actions. Can you explain to us the role of faith, if there is any, within what's going on in sports psychology consulting for you? Yeah, it's unfortunate. Psychology in general is very, as much of American culture, it's very antagonistic towards the Christian faith. All about religiosity, all about spirituality, but try to get an article published specifically on Christianity, and doesn't matter the quality of that, that research, 
it's going to have a hard time getting published in a reputable journal. Hmm. In general, I don't want to hear about it. It's incredibly humanistic. Um, it's 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 really tough. Fortunately, in, in consulting, you know, it's it, you can employ it a little bit more. Um, and one way that I do that, you know, most of our so Lipscomb is a Christian school. Students do not, unlike other some other. Uh, Christian institutions, students do not have to conform to a specific denomination or even have a faith. Um, we'll, we'll take anybody. Our you know, our president would say that our school is more mission-focused and we're exposed as many people to Christ as want to come here. So it's sometimes hit and miss if an athlete even has a or can articulate a particular faith. They know what our faith is. They know that we, you know, that their faculty and those who are working with them are most definitely uh, Christian and um so a, a way that that might show up you know we may talk about um one, a piece of anxiety management maybe having a uh, a mantra or a a trigger word or something like that in order to help calm yourself down right during competition and i may recommend well what what is your favorite bible verse you know that you would you could maybe use as a, as a mantra or you know pick a song do you know that chris tomlin song uh, you know, something like that. Uh, so it's kind of subtle, uh, but it, try to get it to play off of um, maybe where they're at a little bit, if they can articulate any type of faith. Um, they're not usually, it doesn't come up often um, because it's not really the, the central kind of theme, but, you know, some students will mention, uh, I don't either good or bad that God is leading them in this way to play sports or God they feel like God is kind of leading their life into in another direction um, that sort of thing and then those conversations are a lot more fun and all of a sudden it becomes less about sports psychology and more about kind of life coaching um, which in working with college athletes is maybe more rewarding than helping them get ready for their next match we're speaking to Matthew Ruiz, who is uh, a professor at Lipscomb University and also a sports psychology consultant working with athletes across sort of the age spectrum. And uh, we're starting to unpack a little bit this connection between the psychology that is used in a sport performance setting and Christian faith and perhaps even Christian disciplines. And so even if, uh, Matthew, you are not employing this type of um, intervention. I am kind of wondering, I'd just like to get your opinion maybe on the Christian practice of prayer as it relates to sport. So uh, the Bible reminds us that uh, really for us not to be anxious about anything. And whenever we are anxious, we can turn to Jesus Christ and lay our burdens upon him. The relationship that we have uh, can be submitted to prayer. And I wonder, do you think that that sort of prayer has any space or any place in the anxiousness or the lack of confidence of an athlete? Yeah, I think so, but probably not in the way that seems most most obvious. And, and what I mean by that is prayer or any psychological skill or Christian discipline should not be kind of used as Dumbo's feather. Um, if you remember in Dumbo, the reason he thought he could fly is because he held this magic feather. Um, that's not what we're offering. We're not offering a magic feather. You know, we're offering stuff that you already do that you can enhance or new strategies that you can try. Um, but I, I think prayer can certainly be one of those one of those things. And you know, if if 
uh, an athlete asks, well, what, what kind of things should I be praying about? I, I certainly wouldn't encourage, would not encourage, well, pray that you win. Um, I, we could talk all day about whether God um, takes sides in sporting events. I don't know, some athletes, I remember Kurt Warner of the, of the Rams years ago um, was very adamant that God was on, on his side, and that's why the Rams won the Super Bowl, which being from St. Louis, I was glad that God liked the Rams at that time. <laughs> Um, he took a 20-year break and apparently likes them again now. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think, so if a student asks that, what could I pray, how should I pray, you know, something that comes to my mind is, um, well, you have to, if you have these negative thoughts which are causing anxiety, you don't just get rid of the negative thoughts. You have to insert something else to, to take their place. And, you know, I think of something like Philippians 4.8, which makes it very, very explicit that, there's a cognitive component to spirituality, right? He says, fix our thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise, right? That sounds like a really, really good starting point, right? What type of things did you think about? Huh. Paul says, think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And that's going to differ for, for each athlete, but um, all right, what would the world be like if, that was, if we were fixing our thoughts on things that were true and honorable and right and pure? And a lot of those words, you know, honorable, right, admirable, those are words that are very easily transferable to sports. I mean, that's how we sometimes think of our favorite athletes. You know, they're very honorable. They're very admirable. And Paul tells us we need to think about things like that. Despite many of the ways in which we turn negative thoughts and we, we insert uh, from negative mental space positive thoughts and specifically those related to prayer, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes we, we lose and sometimes it's our fault because we couldn't get beyond the negative thoughts and sometimes we lose for other reasons. We notice that you've, you've presented at the inaugural Global Congress on Sport and Christianity back in 2016 on the psychotheology of losing. This is such a great topic, at least... It's the, a big the, word. The title of it, it sounds like in itself uh, its own malady, psychotheology, right? I mean, it's like this, this radicalism. But I think what you're getting at is how we process through losing or what we should be doing as we process through losing. What was that presentation all about? Yeah, that was, boy, that was, that was a fun piece to write. Um, it probably doesn't come as a surprise that most of the literature out there is about winning. Of course. <laughs> and, and what it means to be winning. In fact, the, one of the primary citations that I used was a book called Winning. Um, I think the subtitle was something like An American Obsession or uh, something <laughs> like that. Uh, we know a lot more about winning. And the fun thing is is that losing is not exactly a polar opposite, which, kind, which is kind of, it, it doesn't, you know, if you feel good when you win, then you naturally feel bad when you lose. Um, you know, it's not quite, it's not quite that. There's more of a, a it's not a polar opposite. Um, there's a relationship between the two. And um, that relationship is more complicated than just, winners feel good, losers feel bad, uh, you know, winners are successful, losers are, are failure-minded. And the, I guess kind of the thing that makes it really interesting from a Christian perspective is that we, you know, Jesus tells us we're going to lose, right? That's kind of, it's this weird juxtaposition because by losing everything, we gain everything. 
uh, it's which is really you know it's it's hard to kind of wrap our heads around. Um, but what we do know is that if you really want to develop good psychological and social characteristics, oftentimes there's more to be learned from losing. All right, losing is what tests us. Losing is what puts us in the the crucible. Um, Right, winning is is often a consequence of of development and of of luck and you know all these kind of things. Um, and I don't know that we can learn quite as much. Right, when we lose, that's when we really really learn, and uh, it doesn't have to be shameful. So right? some of the snarkiest coaches will say, "Well, the only thing you lose, uh, or the only thing you learn from losing, is how to lose." So what is it that you're talking about? What do we learn from losing? Well, we learn what it what it feels like. We learn what we need to what we need to do to be different. Um, what it would mean to to change. Well, this didn't work, so we ran play A, and that that did not work. So we next time we need to uh, to run plan B or or something like that. It allows us to really because you have to because you don't want to lose again. You have to reevaluate the systems that we have to reevaluate the preparation. You have to reevaluate your execution. You have to reevaluate all these things, and it gives you an opportunity to really dig down into well, what is going on here, which is an opportunity that you don't necessarily get when you win because when you win you. You just tend to, well, okay, we won, so let's just keep doing what we're doing, and you don't necessarily really investigate. So, you know, losing gives us that opportunity to to investigate and figure out this needs to change, right? Because if we're not changing, then eventually you're not going to be winning again. How is this different for a Christian coach or a Christian athlete, for instance, than it would be for someone that doesn't have faith? Yeah. Um, well, for, first of all, I, I, let me preface the two with saying that winning stinks. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was the wrong thing there. <laughs> losing stinks, right? Losing always stinks. If I'm working w- work with an athlete that doesn't think that losing stinks, um, then I, I question their their devotion and their motivation. It should never feel good to lose. The word is, ever. I'm sorry, st- stink with a K rather than sting with a G? Either way. <laughs> I think both of those would work. It okay. should hurt. It should feel lousy. I mean, all of those things. Um, it it just shouldn't feel good, right? We shouldn't like that feeling. Um, I would hope that the Christian knows that there's there's more to it though than than just winning or losing. Um, you know, we're not guaranteed victory, and losing is not a sign of moral failure. Um, Right, I think there was a. I'm thinking an, an MMA fighter that said something like, "Don't worry, you're going to lose, and you're going to win, and you're going to lose, and you're going to win." The important thing, though, is to know what the goal is. Right, fight for good reasons, fight with a godly spirit, um, knowing that you're going to win and lose. Both are going to happen, but that doesn't change the reason that you play. That doesn't change the goal. Um, which, and hopefully for most athletes, the goal is more than just winning. And that's what's fun about working with cross-country in particular. Most of them know they're not going to win the race. Yeah, right. Right? Pretty much all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are they trying to do? They're trying to improve themselves. Right? They're trying to improve on their own time. Um, and that's great. I mean, that's, that's better than trying to, you know, beat someone else. And that's, you know, the difference between task and ego orientation and that sort of thing, too. So the Christian doesn't need to withdraw from sport because of that feeling of winning and losing and doesn't necessarily have to say that losing doesn't stink, to use your 
phrase, uh, but it might give the Christian a different perspective on both of those things, understanding sort of the relative place of sport and uh, the fact that we do have victory. We have victory in Christ, and uh, there is a, there's a parallel there that we may learn in, in sport that helps us sort of think through some of these larger uh, cosmic issues. Uh, we're, yeah, and we're speaking with uh, Matthew Ruiz from Lipscomb University. And Matthew, we're getting near the end. We've had a an interesting sort of first level of conversation about sports psychology and its connection to faith. And these are the types of issues that we hope to continue to explore at the second Global Congress on Sport and Christianity, set for October 23 through 27, 2019. So we're about a year away. We're really excited about this Congress. You mentioned Gary Thomas. He'll be one of the speakers. And there are a whole host of wonderful speakers that you can find on the website for the Congress. Uh, We're getting closer to that. One of the things we want to do before we sign off with you is just get to know you a little bit more. And so we actually have some questions for you here at the end of this podcast that are maybe a little less conventional, maybe a little quicker. Uh, Give us a short... Yeah, sort of knee-jerk, first response kind of answer. Uh, there's no right or wrong answer, or if there is a wrong answer, we'll let you know. <laughs> okay, okay, good. No it worries. It goes against what my mom always told me, you know, think before you talk. <laughs> so we'll, we'll throw that to the side. Yeah, Sorry, don't do mom. that. Yeah. And I'll just talk before I think. We're asking you to, yes, we're, we're asking you to do that exactly. So this is a speed round, and before we start, I guess I want to ask for your level of confidence or your level of anxiety coming into these questions. Are, are you feeling okay? I think my heart rate has increased a little bit, yes. It's, uh, the anxiety is a little bit there. If anyone can handle this, I'm sure it's a sports psychologist. First question. Give me a couple minutes to do some, some good deep breaths, and we'll go from there. <laughs> we'll give you 10 deep breaths re- real quick. Okay, first question. Favorite sport to play? Golf. Come on. That, yes. I think that's an incorrect answer. It's about time we had a real <laughs> athlete on this podcast. I would Thank play, goodness. Well, I didn't say I was good or anything, but if there was one sport I could do every day of the week, every day of the year, um, it, it would be it would be golf. Bless you, my son. <laughs> I'm, I Gosh, I, I kind of want to end there, Brian, but may, we'll keep going. Okay, maybe See he can get the next one with. right. Um, sp- favorite sport to watch? Oh boy, don't say football. golf. Do okay, it. American Do it. Oh, yeah, yeah, boy. If it's you're a lazy tempted. Sunday afternoon in the summer, yeah, there's nothing better than turning on a golf match. But probably, <laughs> oh. I mean, American football because there's so much to watch and so much to see. Um, yeah, it's, it's fun. So the Masters, that's the answer. Yeah, I, the Masters would be great. Yeah, I, I personally I like uh, the U.S. Open more because it's on Father's Day, so I can. That is my afternoon, right? That is my Sunday afternoon every Father's Day. I'm watching the U.S. Open and doing nothing else. That might be the best day of the year. Oh. That's a tough day for you, Chad. I'm generally watching the back of my eyelids if that's on TV. <laughs> and if there was a, a noise that a yawn would make, I'd be making that, that right now. If we're talking about golf, if that's what we got to get into. <laughs> this is radio. I, can, I should probably excuse myself I hear the birds chirping. It's fantastic. I know you guys oh, like yeah, it. Oh, yeah, the water babbling. Yeah, uh, I know you guys like it. Hey, uh, favorite sports site consultation topic? Oh, yeah, goodness. Um, motor, uh, confidence, absolutely confidence. I love talking about confidence with athletes. Such an important thing, isn't it? Favorite thing about your attendance at the inaugural Global Congress of Sport and Christianity in York, England, 2016? Boy, meeting some of those local pastors that were not professionals in the sport industry but had a passion for sports and were coming from these little towns 
and you know those were the ones that several of us would go out with at night and stuff and hang out with oh man they were so great it felt like they as much as anybody provided sort of that unique international experience or at least the local york yorkshire experience didn't it absolutely absolutely it was yeah they were they were so happy for us to be there and wanted to show off their country and their their town and stuff it it was really neat Within that vein, Matthew, you've been uh, president of the Christian Society for Kinesiology and Leisure Studies, C-Skills. I'm wondering about your favorite location for a C-Skills conference. Probably Santa Barbara. When we were at, uh, at Westmont, um, it was just so different. I mean, it's hard to kind of describe that Westmont campus because it, it's so very different. And having the ocean not far away. I probably should have said Lipscomb University, but um, that's a little <laughs> too close to home. It's hard to beat uh, Westmont in that location, uh, Santa Barbara, isn't it? Yeah, it was just gorgeous. Matthew, the best advice you have given to young athletes could be your children, could be not your children. Best advice you've given? Um, have fun and do your best. Why, that's simple. That is really uh, great to remember. We should write it on everybody's T-shirt. Yep, simple Absolutely. but profound. Yeah, that's what I tell. That's what I tell parents that they have should say before sporting events three things and three things only. This is the extent of your sport parenting. Tell your kid, have fun, do your best, and I love you. And that's mm-hmm. it. And, and then afterwards, you ask them, did you have fun? Did you do your best? I love you. That's oh. it. How cool! How cool! Last question. Best thing about the exercise and nutrition sciences grad program at Lipscomb University. Oh, our students, without a doubt. They just they come from all walks of life. They have all kinds of stories. Um, you know, they're a little bit older, mid to, to late 20s. I mean, I've got one class now of seven students, and they're all in their 30s. Uh, just the life experiences that they bring. And um, it, they're so much fun to talk to and to, to get to know and uh, hear what they're especially the, the ones that are a little bit older, that have, they're maybe coming back for a degree, a second degree, um, have changed what they want to do in life, and uh, to hear those stories, oh, man, they're, they're, it's fantastic. If you're thinking you might attend the Second Global Congress on Sport and Christianity, you will have conversations like this with people like Dr. Matthew Ruiz. Matthew, thanks so much for being with us today. We really appreciate the answers, the insight, the simplicity, specifically at the end. Maybe there's one theme, Brian. It's got to be those three things to tell parents and young athletes, doesn't it? I mean, how cool. That was to win. Um, how many <laughs> baskets did you get? How many points, how many yeah, stats did you get? What, what are your what stats? Score? That's yeah, right. You know. And uh, did you buy your dad a hot dog? Something like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, Sorry, those, I missed most of those. I, I was kind of checking out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty close to it. Yeah. Well, how cool. Matthew, thank you so much for being with well, us thank today. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. I'm very much looking forward to, to the Congress next year. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. And that's great advertisement. And this has been Dig Deep, the podcast about sport, faith, and life. To find additional episodes of the podcast, you can visit us on iTunes. Thanks very much for listening.